All right, so um, we're going to record our, our meeting. <laughs> so, uh, hello, gentlemen of our bioethics class. Um, being as that I'm trying to catch up on a class, um, I'm here in Lafayette, Mardi Gras time, uh, staying with good friends, doctors Matt and Laura Cortez. Both of them are pediatric doctors, worked with children for many, many years. And so I thought since we've been talking about the ethics of childbirth and pregnancy and to be able to hear a little bit of their story and then to be able to talk about an area we didn't really get into that much of that of the neonatal bioethics, what, what, what it's like when you have the sick child or the child with the genetic defect, what are the, the, the responsibilities of the parents and maybe try to get some stories from y'all uh, and lessons that you might want the the seminarians to learn, or our future priests to learn. So this is going to be a free-flowing conversation. We have our, our coffee. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have our wine, but we decided <laughs> coffee would be the best in the afternoon. Yeah. So yeah, well, thanks for, for being willing to sure, do this. Sure. Um, just do you mind sharing just a little bit about who y'all are, your own story as a married couple? Because um, I, I know that a lot of these themes of life and, and fertility and things that we've been talking about in class uh, play a big part in your your own story. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm Matt Cortez. I'm originally from Texas. Uh, came to Texas to train at Tulane in New Orleans, uh, where I started my pediatric training, and that's where where Laura and I met. Uh, that's where we first kind of uh, started dating and and, and met, and um, eventually got married towards the end of our pediatric rotation. And so so we were um, finishing our training and working towards making decisions about the rest of where we were going to be, what we were going to do with our lives and all that. And so we ended up in Birmingham, Alabama, actually practicing general pediatrics in two separate offices in general pediatrics. And then um, I wasn't happy. I, you know, I needed, I wanted to do intensive care. And so I ended up uh, practicing for about a year and a half in pediatrics and then uh, ended up in Nashville at that point uh, doing my fellowship uh, for neonatology at Vanderbilt. I guess I'll let Laura kind of pick up the story kind of there, kind of where, where things kind of went yep. there. <laughs> um, so, right, we met uh, definitely divine providence when we met um, at the hospital. Uh, I was um, third year in my medical school progression, and he was a year ahead of me. And um, we are, uh, we were just very blessed that, um, like I said, divine providence really stepped in to bring us together and I was about 25 when we met and Matt was about 27 and um, didn't take us long to discern marriage uh, we were married about a couple of years after we uh, met and um, we were able to finish our studies in New Orleans as Matt said and then um, we're excited to uh, at that point once we were finishing up which was let's say a few months after we got married, we were going to be, I was going to be graduating and excited to, um, at that time, we felt like that would be an optimal time to start our family. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and of course, while we were engaged, we had done um, natural family planning classes and were um, definitely embracing that from the beginning of our marriage. And um, once you know felt like we were about to hit that point of graduation and i was going to have a little bit more freedom from being on call and such we began trying to conceive 
And um, so we had not been married yet a year when we started trying to conceive. And uh, unfortunately, it just wasn't, um, wasn't coming as quickly as we expected. And um, so after several months of just trying to conceive on our own, we definitely looked into, you know, medical reasons that that might not be happening for us. And um, there was there was no reason, um, which is a blessing maybe. So there was like, um, sometimes they'll look for, um, sometimes women will have maybe blockages in their fallopian tubes or just different things that may be preventing conception. Um, or it could be sometimes on the uh, on the man side, there could be low sperm counts or maybe, you know, the woman's not ovulating properly. Um, so I may have had some ovulation issues possibly but there was um, nothing significant to suggest that I wouldn't be able to conceive on my own. Um, so we continued to try on our own. And after about 18 months um, of not having any success, we, um, we started to look at an infertility specialist um, to see if maybe there were some medications that might be able to help us with this. And I will say this was becoming um, very difficult for us at this time because we were both practicing pediatrics and um, particularly, of course, I felt, you know, I felt for me, whereas um, I, I absolutely loved what I was doing for a living. Um, I, you know, I love, I looked forward to going to work every day. I loved, I especially loved going to the newborn nursery to see, you know, when I would be uh, taking care of a baby that had just been born and the parents would call and say, you know, the baby was born, can you come see her in the nursery? And um, those were the mornings I really looked forward to was being able to go by the newborn nursery on my way to work to see. And, um, and then of course we were also called on to consult with pregnant moms that wanted to meet with us and get to know us before their baby was born. So um, was a lot of stuff in my day going on with kids and babies and it became extremely hard for me to um, to continue to function with the same joyful attitude that I had started out with at the beginning um, and you know it took its toll for sure on Matt as well um, but yes it was um it was for sure a uh, um, probably the hardest part of our marriage. We went through this for a few years. Um, it was, a, to die, kind of speed it along, it was, I did not conceive until we had been married about four and a half years. In that time, I took some medication that would help me um, ovulate at a consistent time so that we would be able to possibly time things better. And still, I did not conceive. Um, and this was easily three, three and a half years into the whole process. And um, I would say, you know, you almost start to feel um, desperate. It, you will do anything. You will do anything to have that child. And it was everywhere. It wasn't just when I went to work, but it was also when we would go to mass and we were in a beautiful parish and loved our parish, loved going to mass, practicing Catholics, you know, and, um, but it was something that on Sundays, I, you know, I definitely would struggle with even just to sit through mass without feeling like I was gonna cry, witnessing all the beautiful families that we were surrounded with and um, just not knowing what God's plan was for us did, did, in our did marriage. You, did you understand at that time what the church is teaching about life, fertility, yes. sexuality was? 
So as a matter of fact, when I was in high school, um, I had gone to a Catholic high school and as seniors, uh, we had a ethics and moral class and we were, um, I was well educated on what was permissible in terms of, um, in terms of infertility treatment, so to say, or not permissible. So I definitely had a full understanding of why the church um, condoned in vitro fertilization and, you know, other forms, including, you know, whether it's, um, you know, putting sperm into a sperm bag, put freezing eggs, whatever, whatever method it was, I understood all of the implications and why they were not allowed or, you know, why they would be naturally, you know, against what we believe as Catholics. Yeah, at the same time, I was learning all this because I, I didn't get any of that growing up. I'd gone to public school and, you know, uh, the catechesis was pretty slim. So, so I had to kind of learn it as we were going through all this. So for me, it was a time I was learning all these things and learning more about the church and uh, going, to, you know, going to daily mass every once in a while at EWTN, which was on the way to my uh, office because we were in separate offices on the other sides of town. So I, I was able to, to take advantage of that and kind of, I was learning. So then you were eventually able to conceive. We did. We did. We had gently started to look, though, into adoption along the to- along that process um, and to explore that option for a brief time. Yeah. Um, but we did conceive, and we were blessed to have a healthy boy nine months later. So, um, you know, we were also hopeful at that point that we would just naturally go ahead as we've seen other some couples along with us at the same time that struggled and once they would have their firstborn they would naturally just you know seem to conceive much easier after that so we were hopeful that would also be the case Mm -hmm. for us that maybe just getting over the hump of conceiving the first child but um but that was also not exactly the case for us either um, but we had moved on. Matt went to fellowship, and I was excited to stay home and become a full-time stay-at-home mom. And um, I was, you know, honestly, I just couldn't think of anything better to do at that time. I had also entertained ideas when we first got married that I would work part-time and, you know, be no big deal to use daycare. And, you know, I just, after it became so difficult to conceive, um, I couldn't imagine not staying home with my child. So Matt went on to further his education mm-hmm. as a student, as a, you know, to become a neonatologist. Yeah, so it was training. kind of a, sh- a little struggle for us there to go back to being students after being in practice for so long, the both of us. Um, but the blessing of being able to stay home was wonderful as well. And we were willing to make the sacrifices that we had to, to make that work financially for sure. Yeah. Yes. And so after the first child, just, yeah, so I got into my, you know, my training in my first year. Everything was going great. I really, you know, I was afraid at first because I was coming. I had this gap time where I wasn't in training. I was in general pediatric practice. So to get back into the procedures and the stuff that the intensive care needs, I felt like I was going to be behind all the other people. But I was able to really kind of jump right in, and it was great. And, and the place that I was at was, was a great place to train. To, uh, so it was really good. And so first year was wonderful. But... And my second year, I started to get a little more tired, and, you know, and I was like, oh, I'm just tired, I'm just tired, I'm just tired. And, um, so then I started to, you know, have some issues, and I was like, well, I, I think I need to go get this checked out. And so I did, and it turned out to, to be cancer uh, in the middle of my second year, uh, so, or right around my birthday of my second year, so around September of my second year. 
And so that kind of derailed things a little bit. Um, for your training. For training and life, everything kind of had to come to a halt uh, just when I felt like things were starting to move forward. And so we, we took a pause and, and, and did what we, you know, what we had to do to, to, to take care of it. And it was very treatable and was able to kind of get through the, the chemotherapy and the surgeries and everything so that by January of the next year, I was back into training and getting through all that. But with that, we knew that and felt that it was going to be a very small chance that we were going to conceive again mm-hmm. uh, because it was test- testicular cancer. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I'm not going to be able to conceive again. So that's it. You know, John Peter's going to be an only child. <laughs> so uh, again, adoption started kind of coming through our heads and, um, but let's just get through training first and, and kind of get through all this. Uh, and then we'll talk about that, about, about adopting and, and, and just not even, not, I don't say not even try, but not even kind of putting our, our, in our hopes in the fact that we'll be able to conceive again, mm-hmm. you know, because I think the chances after, you know, that type of cancer is, you know, 50, 50, as far mm-hmm. as being able to, to have children after that. And since we'd had so much difficulty at the beginning, I was like, well, our chances aren't 50, 50, our chances are probably like 25% yeah. or less. So we're like, well, you know, that, that ship has sailed. So let's just finish our training, go where we're going to go, get settled. And then we'll start looking into adoption, and, but not really praying about it, but just really kind of just thinking about it and going, okay, that that's going to be our next step because, you know, at that stage in our life, that's what we were doing, you know, trying to, you know, okay, this is the next step, this is the next step, this is the next step, and so, um, so then we did, and I ended up coming back here to New Orleans and work at Oshner Main Campus in, in, in New Orleans, um, and so we, we, that's when we really started discerning prayer through prayer and friends and, you know reaching out to different networks of who's adopted and who hasn't adopted and how that how that looked you know what that really was international domestic all, all these different options that we never really thought about and laura had done a lot of homework and, and talked to a lot of people so so she had a really good perspective me as as the as a dad and as a i guess as a man you think of it it's different i think for for us for me anyway to think about adoption it was like wow you know how, how is this going to work you know they, these biologically aren't going to be my children, but how, how does that work as a man versus, you know, a woman? And so it was, we, we struggled with, through all that. I think it was a lot easier for Laura to kind of get through all that. But for me, it, it took a little more, you know, there was no adoption in my family. No, and nobody had ever really done that. And, and so it was just, it was more, more of a struggle for me to really, really do that. And so I really did have to take it to prayer and and kind of literally up until the, you know, the 12th hour, you know, when, when we finally were able to receive that phone call from a friend, um, nurse practitioner at one of the hospitals that I worked at said, Hey, you know, this mom came in and she's not going to take these kids home. They're twins. And I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and so I really kind of had to remember sitting in my office, you know, looking out on the Mississippi river at Oshner going, okay, what am I going to do? And, I had a little statue of St. Joseph and some prayers, and I just started praying to St. Joseph. And I was like, well, you know, St. Joseph, you, you were in the same situation that I was, so help me out here. And so call Laura, and, and Laura's answer was, of course. <laughs> what, what is there to think about? And so um, so I went over to the hospital, and um, it just it happened really quickly after that. After, so. I think for me, um, a lot of the struggle in, in all of this was that I had this plan in my head for what our family would look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just felt like as 
you know, just as time went by, um, just learning to accept that this was God's plan for us. And we, you know, I may not understand why for me being educated for so many years, I have to understand everything and um, I have to understand the reason why. <laughs> and it was just getting over that, um, getting over that, that feeling like I was in control, especially once Matt was diagnosed with cancer, that was, I think that was the biggest thing. It was the biggest hurdle for me initially was accepting that, you know, it was probably, I feel like the first time in my life I was really hit hard with something that made me realize how we are not in control. And um, this was certainly when we were married, it felt so easy initially. This was certainly not the plan I had for our marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and I've come to realize through all of that, between the infertility and the cancer and the adoption that, you know, God had a plan for us and for what he wanted our family to look like. And it may not match anything like what we had in our head, um, but it's his plan. And there is a reason for that plan. And um, it is only through, truly through prayer and adoration and faithfulness that, you know, that we are able to come to realize that plan and to accept that plan. But it is not, it is a far cry from easy. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, as a seminarian or somebody who's who's kind of counseling couples who are thinking about adoption, I think, you know, I, I'd never thought about, you know, how, you know, for the for the father and for the for the birth, you know, for the adoptive father and the adoptive mother, how different sometimes the perspective is, you know, like for me, you know, like I said, it, I was thinking about the biology and how is it going to work and how is that, you know, they're going to look different than me and, and you know, that, that was my struggles and Laura's struggles were, were different, you know, it was just, you know. Right, I feel, I think when you come to discern adoption also, I think especially for the woman, is coming to terms with the infertility especially and letting go of that, expect, letting go of the expectation, but also embracing that this is God's will. Um, but there is, uh, um, that is an important aspect of, of coming to appreciate adoption for what it is is just letting go of whatever it is that you feel like it's, you know, it might be and in letting God and letting God do it for you. And that's a beautiful example. We've talked about that in class of, yeah, we can look at all these different ethical issues involved with birth and fertility, but at the center there is often a woman, a couple that's really struggling with infertility and the need for a, a pastoral response uh, to be able to show compassion, compassion in that regards. So you, you adopted the twins, Joseph and Mary, and then there was, an, you had one other child. And then, right, yeah, God still yeah. had more, yeah, uh, as soon as have, we, yeah. you know, right, as soon as we feel like we are, we're, well, you hate to say done, but you just feel like, okay, God has spoken here, mm -hmm. you know, and this is great, you know, and, um, you know, right, I was, when the twins were 18 months, um, <laughs> I was sure I, everything in my life at that time was cancer. I felt like just after, still after Matt coming off of it, even though it been a few years, if something wasn't right, medically speaking with someone in our family, in my brain, it was automatically cancer. I still was having some anxiety about that. And so as soon as I, as soon as I was late from my cycle one time <laughs> and was feeling quite sick after a trip to the grocery store, I said, well, there you go. I have ovarian cancer. And Matt goes, you need to go take a pregnancy test. I said, that's the meanest thing you've ever said to me. And at this point, I'm 39. 
and um, yeah. yes, 39, and he was over 40, and um, like I said, twins were 18 months, and you know, oh my goodness, he was right. I <laughs> he said, you're not having a glass of yeah, wine with dinner? Yes, you to have wine so, at dinner. Yes, yeah, yeah, we were going out that night. We had a date night, <laughs> and he said, not until you go take a pregnancy <laughs> test, and I said, that is so mean, <laughs> and so we went off, we went and looked at swing sets, picked up the pregnancy test, we came home, I literally threw it across the counter, sit the kids out in the backyard, <laughs> said I'll do that later before we go out because I don't want to deal with that right now so um but still nine, uh, nine months later <laughs> well actually, actually yeah. so actually the baby never developed a heartbeat it was a miscarriage it was a miscarriage it, I was yeah um at, we waited a couple of weeks we waited probably about three weeks because mm-hmm. I, I had no idea date wise what I was I had stopped charting I was not I was just not charting at that point I was 39 and you know, we just didn't think that, yeah. So anyway, I had no idea. So we waited, at least, we tried on three occasions after that for three weeks to mm-hmm. see if a heartbeat would develop on the ultrasound. And it just did not, right? Which again, it just, um, yet again, Yeah. yes, there he was. Yeah. Um, that was another struggle. I, I was, that was huge. I just after everything it took for us to come through the infertility the first time and then to you know to, to proceed with the adoption and all the struggles that would be there um, then that he would allow us to conceive so amazingly and then it, you know it was not meant to be yeah. was still for a couple of months there um, left me uneasy about how open I felt to life at that point because uh, I had these, you know, very busy toddlers and a six-year-old. And I just, the, um, the grief that comes with, the grief that comes with losing a child or, you know, even if the child does, you know, you say losing a child, the, you know, he, the baby didn't develop a heartbeat. So it's still a loss. Mm-hmm. No matter how you look, it's a loss. Um, it's the grief that accompanies that is... Um, is is a gift how, how did y'all cope with the grief and, and journey in that direction it was it was difficult i mean I, I think we we didn't talk about it for you know a little while and then we we finally were able to talk about it when more felt a little better um and we just said hey you know we're just going to be open to whatever comes next you know at this point and, and so again same Kind of like when we went through infertility, it was very similar, you know, more mass, more prayer, more time together, more adoration, and just saying, okay, what, what are we supposed to do now, you know, and, and so we were busy with the, the twins, you know, uh, busy, you know, by that point they were almost two years old, or, yeah, yeah, almost two years old, and so, so we were busy with that, and so that, that it was hard, we didn't have a lot of time to really just kind of sit, but. We did spend a lot of time in prayer trying to, to figure so, out what was next. Right. Make no mistake, all of these um, difficult moments are accompanied by temptations. You know, when we went through the infertility initially, there was that temptation for me to, to pursue in vitro fertilization. At this time, the temptation was to be close to life. Um, just thought that would be, I thought we could, there could have been so many reasons why this miscarriage happened. I thought, you know, knowing with my medical background, I knew a little too much. I thought we could conceive again and I could just keep miscarrying. Maybe the chemotherapy had done something and maybe 
you know, maybe we will just not be able to have a child because maybe because of the chemotherapy, you know, this child will always have some chromosomal issue and won't be viable. Or, mm-hmm. you know, so many possibilities came to my mind about why this miscarriage could have happened. So naturally the temptation was, would be in to have it so much easier and just be closed to life at this point in our marriage. But we did not. We yeah. We remained open yeah. and also thought, too, well, what are the chances that we would conceive again? Anyway, mm-hmm. this was such as this was such an unbelievable shock. Mm-hmm. I just thought we we conceived a couple of months later yeah. again, yeah. and this time everything was okay. Mm-hmm. So um, our youngest is Paul, and mm-hmm. he was born prematurely. <laughs> he was born at uh, 30 weeks, so he had a little stay in the NICU as well. Um, well, with in Matt. Hospital, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, he was in my NICU. So there was so the was... challenge that came with that as well. None of my kids had been, well, with the twins, we had a little bit of a, a nursery issue for about a week with nothing major. But um, Paul was our NICU baby, and he was in there for six, seven weeks. Mm-hmm. So um, so it is not... <laughs> so, I mean, I, again, I, 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 I've known you all well enough. I don't know if I knew that part of your yeah, story. Yeah. And... and Thanks for sharing it. Um, y'all, really, your your marriage here in this, you encompass everything. I mean, <laughs> yeah, in a certain did. sense, every potential trial mm-hmm. um, that 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 a couple's gone through, and you weathered it. And then, yeah. as we move forward, y'all moved to Lafayette, got involved at Wisdom, and then, if you want to share a little bit about the past several years. Um. So. Yeah, um, so last year I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and um, uh, we were, you know, somewhat familiar with this journey. Again, we were um, we were blessed that I, I was diagnosed with a, a treatable form, so we were um, we were explaining to our kids last year that this was something that you know this was something that we were going to go through as a family, and um, and you know everybody. You know, in our family of the kids, you know, stepped up to do more chores and, um, you know, accepting help, learning again to be in that position where your feet are being washed is so hard. Um, Matt went through that with during his chemo, allowing me to be the foot washer, so to say, and, you know, to do things that normally I wouldn't or for, you know, to allow other people to do for him. And, you know, it was the same for sure. It was a struggle for me as well. Even if I didn't feel, you know, super bad at times, it was still hard for me to allow other moms who I knew were busy to bring us meals, um, to yeah. keep everything running smoothly so that Matt could be at work and not as stressed or the kids wouldn't be wondering what was for dinner when I was tired or whatever. And um, so I went through a few months of chemotherapy last year and um, doing well now. And coming to terms now again, though, after that road of having cancer, it's coming to terms with the anxiety. It's almost like it's, um, even though initially when you're diagnosed, it's hard, you kind of go into survival mode. At least, I don't know if everybody handles it this way, but this yeah. is how I handled it when Matt was sick as well. I, you know, I went into survival mode. And then kind of when things calm down after the chemotherapy, thank goodness there is kind of a, you know, there's a quiet time after. And um, coming to terms with the anxiety is very difficult Um, and again so you're you know trying to be okay with you know trying to find quiet time with the Lord to allow him in 
to be in that to have that posture of receptivity it's just hard that's i think that's a big thing with illness and even with the uh, infertility too it's um developing that posture of receptivity to just allow god to be to be there and to do what he needs to do for you and it's hard to let it it's hard to let go and to be in that po- to be in that position Listening to that, I originally started this to talk about neonatal bioethical choices, which I think is probably wise to do two parts now. <laughs> no, but this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. In the way of the spirit life, we'll, we'll probably just, I'd like to finish this, because I have a couple of questions, okay. and then we can get specific into those issues. Because, you know, in studying bioethics, you can look at the individual ethical choice that needs to be made. Let's say it's the beginning of life or the middle life or the end of life. And you can analyze that and you can look at the act itself. You can also take a step back and look at the individual and what's going on in their life and that perspective of the acting person as John Paul II talks about. But here, bioethics situated within the context of family life, mm-hmm. like the larger bios, the larger... Yeah. so. It's so easy, I think, to study it. Well, here's the case, but it takes place. All these things that take place within mm-hmm. your life as a family. Um, so, I guess, what would you say? How how did that impact your family dynamic? But how did continuing to live the family life? Um, how did your family, your children, and your community, the, the larger the larger aspect? It's not like you're just little monads out here. Uh, help you to make these choices and to really live your faith? I don't know if my question made any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, for me, it was like like when I had cancer, I mean, it was difficult because I had to watch Laura help me and then I had to let people help me. And so I had to kind of let people into my little world that I was, I, I want to be self-sufficient. I want to be, you know, this and that, and I don't want to depend on anybody. So it, it, that was the part I had to really overcome was to let people help me and, and let Laura help me and let family members help me and let friends help me um, because I was very resistant to that. I was hard-headed about that as a man. We used to be very self-reliant as doctors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you kind of you get through where you, know, you get where you are in that sense of in our lives by, by working and working and working and then you have to rely on other people. So that was hard. That was a hard step for me. And then kind of turn it around when Laura got sick, it was hard for me. I was like, uh, I would, you know, it was hard for me to, because I knew what she was going through. And so I was like, I know what she's going through, but I need to help here. I need to do this. I need to do that. So it, it felt even more stressful for me being the spouse without the cancer the second time around because I had to help, and, and but I knew what she was going through. And so it was, it was, it was challenging for me. I was like, I'd rather, I'd rather be the one with it again so that she wouldn't have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it was, it was that internal struggle of, of that. And so that anxiousness that, I, that that was the anxiousness that I felt was how am I going to help her and help the kids at the same time and so just the balance of all that uh, was difficult allowing people in to wash your feet in general is difficult I think that really is what it amounts to and for me it's on it was kind of what I already met, alluded to in terms of well, like allowing other moms to come in and maybe bring food or take my kids off or do whatever allow them you know even just to take them to sewing class or to soccer practice you know being at peace with the fact that life is going to go on while i'm home and this was also during unfortunately during quarantine 
Um, so my husband felt even more strongly about me staying in um, a little more on the conservative side, um, just, you know, to be careful because there were times when my counts would be low and we wouldn't want to take a chance because, you know, we just didn't know at that time everything that was going on with the virus. And so better to be safe, he felt like, and didn't want me to take any chances. So for me to also agree to that, because that would, it would involve sometimes not going to mass on Sunday. Oh, not, yes, mama wasn't so accepting of that. <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, you know, the counts recover and I could go to mass on occasion. So that was hard. Um, and just, I think too, though, for me, maybe the biggest obstacles that I'm avoiding is when, you know, when I would need to ask for prayers. Mm-hmm. That was for sure, I feel like, admitting that vulnerability, admitting, you know, it's still something I struggle with. If I go for a scan or something, um, you know, I'd almost rather not tell. I'd almost rather not share that I have something coming up and I would like prayers just to get through it. Um, But knowing that that's why I had that, why this is why God gave us this beautiful community and, and our children and, you know, helping that, helping our kids understand the value of the prayer. Mm-hmm. And yes, and one of the things we've been talking about this semester is um, how American law and jurisprudence, when it comes to these bioethical issues, reveals a certain anthropology, an anthropology of the, the human beings as disembodied wills. Um, but in fact, no, we have bodies, and we are weak, we are vulnerable, and we're dependent. And the, to have an adequate bioethics has to sort of accept that. Um, yeah. But the way that you highlight it, I think, makes it even more concrete yeah. that, yeah, these difficult situations, these difficult choices that we face reveal to us our vulnerability and dependency mm-hmm. and the need to rely on others, yeah. uh, friendship, mm-hmm. community, family, um, so there's really no way to adequately live out making the right choices within the context of the vulnerability of our humanity as isolated individuals, yeah. uh, particularly as Catholics, the need for the church. Mm-hmm. I know the church, you are vibrant members of our community and, and very active in the church and the friendships that you made there help to support you. Yeah. To that end, I will say I did not mention this earlier. I lost my track of my train of thought. But um, back to the infertility, speaking of the vulnerability, as a matter of fact, it was so easy. You know, I think now there's there's more resources. When I went through this, it was really around the year 2000 that we kind of peaked with the infertility in 1999-2000. It was a very lonely time. I, I cannot emphasize that enough, how isolated yeah. we felt. Um, yeah, you and feel like you're the only one going through it, but you you're do. not, but you, you feel like it. Even more so than the cancer. I, yeah. I feel the like the affliction yeah. of the infertility was so profound, was so deep, mm-hmm. and so hard to share with people. Hard to share yeah. with other women, hard to share with other couples, very hard to share, it felt like, with our family. Even though we have great relationship mm-hmm. with our family, it was almost, um, it was almost like it was just like, it was so bad for us, we couldn't even bring ourselves to discuss it with other people because it just, mm-hmm. it was that painful. And honestly too, unless someone has gone through a miscarriage or any kind of loss or infertility, 
their understanding is very limited of what it of what it is of what it is to go through that um, and of course naturally you're friends with so many people that are their their, their families are flourishing and maybe your siblings too my sister has nine children now <laughs> so she was in the thick of childbearing um, when we were going through this and it was a very difficult issue for my parents and for us and I, I was sad for her every time she'd have to call and tell me she was expecting again. So I can't emphasize enough how isolated I think couples feel when they're going through this um, and not necessarily of their own doing. It, it's a hard thing to share um, and it's a hard thing for people to understand. Yeah. And there's limited resources for Catholics that are trying to be faithful, faithful. to the teaching of the church because there's so many resources that will help you achieve pregnancy there's so many resources that they want you to use so would you say that you know again we're talking to a group of seminarians here who one day got willing to be priests um but i think it applied to everybody you know if you would have had a priest or if you would have had um, a community that you could have reached out to or would have reached out that it would have made the cross maybe easier to bear. Maybe. Um, And it was complicated by the fact that our job as pediatricians was there five days a week. And it was almost like on the weekends, we almost looked forward to maybe not seeing that aspect of our mm -hmm. life that we knew we were missing out Mm -hmm. on. For five days a week, you know, it was being fed to us constantly. I mean, we witnessed to these beautiful families all the time, every day of the week, and would have, you know, would be, you know, blessed to hear their good news and all these things, and, um, you know, then to yeah. go home at night was in the, the, you know, the quiet of our home was deafening. I would tell friends, you know, it's the silence of having no children is absolutely deafening. It's, yeah. you, you and then, know. Yeah, and then you, on the other hand, then you go to the infertility doctor, and they say, well, here's your easy fix, you know, do this, do that, and, you know, do, use this treatment or use this surgery or, or use the IVF, and, and why wouldn't you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you, you're, so you're kind of in that isolated world, and then you have this, you know, this carrot they're dangling in front of you. And you know, you're, you're so like, vulnerable. You're so vulnerable. And so you see that, so you see why a lot of people, at, at least now in, in hindsight, you see, you know, I, I know why it's so tempting to just go that route, you know, and just take that easy ticket and go, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's like the, the, the need to show mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't want to come off as judgmental for the people who have made that choice because I guess you can see how easy it is mm-hmm. to go in that, particularly if you've never been catechized. Right. right. Um, right. The, the preventative measure, in a sense, to, hey, for couples who, who are infertile, there is a community that you, you can feel safe in and find some support in. Maybe the church could do a little bit better about uh, providing those types of ministries. Yeah, and, and for us, you know, the, the adoption thing, uh, I mean, it's it really worked out really well for us. I mean, I think it's, it's you know, like I said, it's kind of stretched us in a way that I don't think we would have been stretched any other way, you know, because you know, when you adopt, you know, there's the, the children are biologically different, um, and so they have different tendencies, they have different things, they have different personalities that may not be your personality. So it, it stretches, you know, your 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 ideas and, and mm-hmm. kind of uh, makes your family a little different. And so that's okay. And so it's it's I think it's really 
helped uh, at least you know us to kind of come to that terms of saying okay you know god gave us this family for a reason let's figure out why you know and so it's really it's opened that door it's you know open you know up us to more trust with god you know and in, in our in our family to say okay we trust that this is what we're supposed to do so now i mean I, obviously our kids are our kids and we don't see them any differently you know uh, our, our adopted kids versus our non-adopted kids are it's all the same to us mm-hmm. they just have different personalities and mm-hmm. so we just have to you know trust that that we were led to them and they were led to us to help them achieve something and we're just we're trying to figure what that is that just like anybody else you know it's life uh, thank you all so much for sharing all of this mm-hmm. i guess when we didn't know it was going to go this deep but, <laughs> yeah. but no but and, and and i appreciate it and we can kind of wrap it up before we maybe move to the next the next part but that you have moral principles embedded within choices embedded with lives embedded within families mm-hmm. embedded within communities um yes. these things don't make wrong right or right wrong but you can't just uh, we're, we're it's very easy to look for black and white solutions yes. and to say this is what you should do but it's much more complex than that there is a right and there's wrong very concretely um but as catholics who are compassionate to situate and understand those choices in the lo- larger context mm-hmm. and if we do that then i think it we realize more vulnerability we have support yes and it's easier to make the right choice Absolutely. um yeah well thank you all for sharing all sure. that sure. so i'm going to wrap this part up okay. and then we'll have some time we could talk about specific issues yeah. uh with neo natal medicine so thank you all for sharing that was unbelievable thank Thank you. you father thank you